I think also people tend to give their feedback in the way of solutions mm-hmm. rather than they think that's giving useful, the problem. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like rather than stating what the problem is, they provide a solution. Uh, and it's kind of our job, I think, as the designer to dig deep and uncover what the actual problem is. Welcome to Design Life, a show about design and side projects for motivated creatives. My name's Charlie. And my name is Femke. And in this episode, we're going to discuss quite a particular topic, and that's the topic of how to articulate your design decisions. And this topic came about as I was recently in London and attended a workshop, which was run by Tom Griever, all about this particular topic. He's written a book about it. It's on Amazon under the O'Reilly publication. So it's a really great book. And the workshop was really detailed. I learned so much and came away with just like, you know, light bulb moments, basically. Like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of this before? I'm so going to try this with my team. And so I thought maybe in light of me having recently been to that workshop, uh, I thought that we could talk a little bit about it today, discuss some of the things I learned. And we also have some questions from community members, which I think are really, really good. And we'll probably get to somewhere towards the end. So that's today's topic. Stay tuned. First, a bit of a catch up. It's been a couple of weeks since we released an episode. Uh, Charlie and I, We've both been pretty busy, haven't we? So sorry for the little break there. Things got a bit hectic, huh? Yeah, life is just so busy at the moment. I can't believe how much life, I guess, I've packed into these first three months of the year. And like the third month isn't even over yet. So, oh, yeah, it's just a lot. Uh, And just a warning as well, we will be taking another break next week, I think it is, because I'm going to be in Japan. So cool. And... Yeah, that's just going to be a totally new environment, and I don't know at all like what the internet situation is going to be like in my Airbnb, and I don't know what we'll be doing. So yeah, we've decided not to stress about recording, but yeah, we'll be back back to normal after that. I think. Yes. Yeah. Lots lots of travel lately. Lots of just trying to keep up with the side projects. I am so thankful to my past self for filming. You remember that bunch of videos that I did? I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I filmed like seven or eight in one trip to America and those videos are really coming in handy and saving my butt because I've like always got content saved up. So mm-hmm. yeah, I need to make sure that I'm still filming more so that I don't run out of them basically. Yeah, it's always good to have a buffer. That's something that I've always struggled with though. Like as much as I know it would be or, or it would make my future life so much easier, I just can never manage to get the time and the focus to build up that buffer. So, yeah, props to you. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think the only way I did it was because it was collaborations, right? And, like, mm. I had to film with those people because they're in America and I was there at that time. So, you know, it had to happen. So, yeah, yeah, glad to have it, though. <laughs> yeah, I bet. How's life been for you lately? Yeah, also busy. Uh, I have been helping my mum with a little project, which has been really fun. Uh, She Uh is launching a toolkit for, uh, it's about like how to connect with toddlers and like raise toddlers. So it's been really fun to work with her on that and help her put the sort of whole final thing together. And I think she's launching that next week, which she's pretty excited about. And she's also running a workshop. So I've been helping her a little bit with that. You know, it's always good to to help the mum out when she needs a bit of design help. Uh, so that's been kind of fun. And yeah, just getting back into the swing of things because we spent some time in Spain together a week or so ago. We did. 
And uh, yeah, I'm actually going to Zurich tomorrow. We're both traveling tomorrow. You're going to Japan. I'm going to Zurich. So yeah, busy times for sure. I'm kind of, I don't know if it's like spring and like the new season starting. It just feels like, okay, everyone's had a few months to sort of, you know, recover from New Year's and Christmas and like set their goals for the year. And now with the new season, everyone's like, okay, now it's like crunch time. Now it's time to actually get to work. That's that's kind of how it feels a little bit for me right now is sort of everyone's kind of kicking projects off and, and wanting to get started with things, which is really exciting, but also makes for a bit of a busy time for me. Yes, for sure. <laughs> that's That's what I think. I can't imagine the year getting any busier than it has been for me these first three months with, you know, I think I've been on three or four trips already, you know, but it's just going to, it is for sure going to get busier. So just have to buckle in and, and get you done. Yeah. It'll all be right in the end, but let's, let's get into the the topic. So I want to start with, um, this, I guess. So when, when I went to the workshop, Tom started with this interesting kind of, proposal or statement, which I'm sure will sound familiar to you. And he introduced this thing called the CEO button, which I think is a great place to start because it basically talks about, you know, how there's always some sort of executive or someone sort of high up that just comes in in the middle of the project or in the middle of your design and wants to add a feature or has an idea for something that, you know, they think will make it 10 times better, but it totally destroys the balance or sort of undermines the purpose of your role as as a designer. And I think that's a good place to kick off because that's often where we as designers, I think, need this skill or this ability to, to communicate and back up our decisions and have some sort of rationale because it's really, I think, our responsibility as designers to you know provide this value and be able to communicate them well to help others understand and I think when when the sort of CEO button thing happens to us that's often where we get tripped up and and sort of don't know what to do or don't know how to handle this situation where this person kind of swoops in in the middle have you ever had that before has that happened where someone's kind of come in and you sort of are a bit unsure how to how to deal with it oh yeah for sure. Uh, I can remember this happening a lot at zero where like, I don't know, I'd be super afraid to show Rod, who was our CEO, something that wasn't close to being finished yet. Because I think Mm. the less of a designer you are, the less, um, how do I put this? Like imagination you have to see the finished product, I guess. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. Like be able to envision it. Yeah. Yeah, like you can see, oh, okay, obviously this isn't finished and obviously they're going to fix that bit and like, you know, uh, and give feedback based on what's there and what the plan is for the future, you know, like giving feedback on a wireframe, for example. Um, you know, if you're not a designer, you might be like, oh, why why did you decide to use only grey? <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, if you're understanding what a wireframe is, then you know that what's coming is, is a fully fledged design after that but yeah I'd always be afraid to show him something that wasn't something that I was completely happy with because I found it so hard to articulate and like stand up for myself I guess and and for my design when it wasn't quite done yet and I wasn't quite proud of it yet uh you know I felt like well I mean if he wants this then I mean I'm obviously not in love with what I have here so I guess I have to do that and yeah it was always a thing that could sometimes throw a spanner in the works for a project and yeah we just we just got it done whenever he came by and, uh, you know, dropped his two cents in. 
Yeah, I think this raises a, a good sort of area, which is about presenting your work. And yeah. with wireframes are always a bit tricky, right? Because the nature of a wireframe is to be simple and not go into detail and not do the visual design. It's a lot about like structure, right? And sort of mapping out how things are going to be and where they're going to where they're going to live. And so, yeah, they, they can be hard, I guess, for non-designers to interpret and, and understand the meaning behind that. I think also as designers and, and maybe not necessarily for wireframes, but maybe more in when we're presenting visual designs or prototypes or mock-ups, um, I think we tend to take a lot of shortcuts. And we talked a little bit about this in the workshop too, uh, where we were sort of you know challenged to think about what shortcuts we take or what shortcuts do I take as a designer when I'm presenting my work. And we often take these shortcuts just so that we can get to the point, right? Like often when I'm having a meeting, a meeting with engineers, there's something in particular that I want to discuss. So that'll be the thing that I focus on and I sort of take shortcuts to to highlight that thing that I want to talk about. And, you know, these could be things like using stock photos, for example, or right. sometimes I've uh, done incorrect math. You know, there's incorrect math in my design. The numbers don't add up or I've used lorem ipsum or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Using things like that, which, you know, as designers don't really phase us because we know that they're placeholder, right? We know that they're not yeah. the real thing. They're just kind of there to get to the point and they're faster for us in the short term. Uh, but in the long term, they can be confusing. Uh, I've had meetings with engineers where, you know, we talk for five minutes about the fact that the math is wrong. And, you know, oh. <laughs> I'm like, it's not the point. Like, Move uh, on. It's not the problem. Let's yeah. get to the next thing. Yeah. Or, you know, I've also had where I've had placeholder images and... Um, they, they were just grey boxes, literally. So back to sort of the wireframing thing. And the engineers didn't realise that they were image placeholders. Um, you know, so things like that where we tend to take shortcuts, I think, as designers. And for us, it's, you know, a time saver. But they can really, I think, hinder in the long run, uh, especially when we're presenting our work. And I think it's easy to forget that others, you know, don't have all that design lingo and don't necessarily, you know, they may not know what lorem ipsum is. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to me that it's, you know, not a real sort of uh, real text. Yeah, what language is this? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, you never know. So I, I think I've kind of taken that into my work now as well, where I'm sort of a bit more detailed about you know, what, what shortcuts I'm taking. Okay. So this is interesting. Was the like answer to this problem in the workshop that you shouldn't take those shortcuts? Because I don't agree with that. I think that we should be showing our designs to the stakeholders, you know, people involved early and often. Mm -hmm. And if you're having to fully flesh out and like find the exact right photo for your design before you show anyone, that just holds up the process and it stops you getting feedback. So Personally, I think the thing to do is explain which parts of the design are placeholder or whatever before you show them to people. Like, actually, just yesterday, I was showing a design for a new landing page, and I was like, I know these icons are all repeated, don't worry, they're not actually going to be on the final thing, they're just a placeholder. Like, just point that out straight away as you're showing so that people don't dwell on it, you know? So in the workshop, what was their yeah. advice for this? So the advice was to, first of all, just be mindful, you know, that this okay. could be a thing um, and people could get tripped up on it. And then second was basically what you just said is the advice was to ab establish upfront, you know, what the purpose of the meeting is, for example. Like, what's the purpose? What, what are we looking at? And to kind of 
state like, you know, this is where we are in the project. I'm looking for feedback on X, not Y. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here is where we are on the fidelity spectrum. You know, I, I acknowledge that this photo is not the final, but it helps to, you know, imagine where the where the image might be and sort of yep. go from there so basically just like like you said establishing up front making sure everyone's kind of on the same page knowing what you want specific feedback on and then everyone can sort of have that in mind and, and go from there otherwise you know I've had like meetings that. where we spend yep. the first 10 minutes like so is this placeholder or which is like what is this going to be oh that math's not correct you know things like that which you know just take up time Yeah, totally. And this might be actually be an argument, I think, for even lower fidelity wireframes. Like, um, I would always be encouraged to do this by my design director at Zero when I was there, is that I would use the proper fonts that we use in my wireframes. And he was like, nope, don't do that. Just put Helvetica, Uh, like uh put the default. Because anything that you use that looks like something that you use in the finished product can confuse people and make them think, oh, is this actually a finished design? Is this actually going to be a gray background? You know, and get them tripped up on that. And sometimes even the explanation that it's a wireframe isn't enough because you have to go into detail about what a wireframe is and, you know, why it's not got colors in it and why it's not the finished design. So, yeah, I think just communication is what it all comes down to, right? There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like you basically want to eliminate potential distractions, right? Especially in a wireframe. Yeah. So yeah. true. What about in a more finalized design? Should we go into talking about design decisions, you know, when you're presenting something higher fidelity? Yeah. So I guess when you're presenting something higher fidelity, um, I think it's kind of the same, really, or or quite similar. You know, you want to establish where you are on the project, what you're looking for feedback on. And again, you know, if there is anything in particular that is placeholder or or maybe this is the time to point out, you know, this is not placeholder. You know, this Mm. this could be a good time to say, okay, this is the image that we're intending to use or you know this is the text we're intending to use the copy or whatever um or this is the color of the ctas whatever it is and maybe maybe that's the time where you actually want to point out what's not placeholder rather than what is uh if that's what you're looking for specific feedback on which you know if you're in this sort of more higher fidelity uh phase of the project is is probably what you're looking for anyway yeah what if the project is done in your eyes you know like you've gotten it to a point where you're happy with it you're handing it off uh, for feedback Um, some of the situations that our community members have been talking about seem to be this it's like they've finished the design and they're showing it to stakeholders and then changes are coming back and like that's the time I think it is kind of Mm -hmm. hardest to articulate design decisions because you're happy with it already you know and obviously you want to listen to feedback too and sometimes that feedback can make you change your mind but yeah, how do you articulate design decisions when you're sure about something and someone else is questioning it? Did mm-hmm. your workshop go into give any advice on this topic? Yeah, so I think we we talked a lot about sort of establishing what the role of design is and mm-hmm. what your role as the designer is. And I think that comes into play here. So I'll I'll share what what the answers to those are. So first we talked about the the role of design. Uh three things. One, design has to solve a problem. Design has to be easy for users and design has to be supported by everyone. And then we talked about, uh, you know, what, what the role of the designer is and what, what are the kind of questions that you should be asking yourself, you know, when you're making decisions in your design and you're, you know, working on a problem and coming up with solutions. And the first one is, you know, 
similar. What problem does this solve? And, you know, you should always be referring to the problem. What are the goals? Looking at the big picture. Uh, Be open to taking on board feedback and suggestions. And, you know, just asking yourself, what problem am I trying to solve by suggesting this feature or Mm. or this thing that I should change? Uh, The second one is how does this affect the user? So, you know, thinking about, okay, if I were to, to implement this thing, what effect will that have on on the user, on their goals, on their needs, on on how they behave and interact with the design. And then the third one is why is this better than the alternative? You know, I think it's always good to be prepared to talk about alternatives and and what you did and why. I, I think often we talk about like the the best solution, right? Or like our best idea. Um, but I think it's equally important to talk about what we've explored and and why we didn't choose a particular solution. Mm. Um, I often get in design reviews that uh, someone will suggest something that I've tried already. Um, and, you know, we end up yep. on this 10 minute discussion where I have to explain like, no, I tried it and we ran into this issue or, or it didn't work because X, Y, Z. Um, so, yeah, always be prepared, I think, to talk about alternatives uh, and, you know, be open to taking on board feedback, suggestions that other people put forward. And uh, the last little sort of thing under under the third one, why is it better than the alternative, is to, you know, put alternatives in the context of, um, you know, I understand why you don't like this thing. Can you suggest what could work instead? So this is sort of coming into now your question about how do you sort of take on the feedback when in your eyes you've made all the right decisions, you think it's good to go, you're happy with the final design and someone comes in with an alternative. And we talked a lot about like how to deal with this and how to respond in this particular situation. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of the time it's easy to just be defensive. You know, you, you try and back up your design and you try and explain why why your solution is the best. Um, but I think it's also good to consider, you know, not not necessarily go down a long, you know, exploration of their alternative, but just ask them about it. Just talk to them a little bit about it, you know. Oh, oh, wh- why do you think that would be a good idea? Um, why, why do you think that's better than the current solution? Or what is it that you don't like about the current solution? And why do you think that your suggestion would, would work better instead? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that I don't know I don't put as much weight on uh, how do I put this design directions from non-designers as as I do from designers like I don't know if I would ask a non-designer or oh, why do you think the solution would be better right like you know and uh I wouldn't get them to do that I think that that would be something that okay they've made the suggestion I'll explore it for them and you know see if I can in- and try and interpret myself why they think this is a better solution for the problem because I, I don't think that they have the like lingo to explain it themselves sometimes uh-huh. does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah going back to your uh three things that design does and three things that a d- designer does something that i think is super important for us as designers is to be the voice of the user sometimes in a way especially if we're on a team where we don't have like a user researcher or something like that which I know you do at Uber you Mm -hmm. have lots of those but um yeah often it's the designer's job to be that voice because sometimes the stakeholders that you're showing designs to will be thinking about the business right like they're going to be thinking about the business case of what's going to make the most money because that's their job right is to think about conversion and that sort of thing whereas it's our job as designers to think about the best experience for our user 
obviously the problem we're solving is usually we want to increase conversions and make more money and, <laughs> and all of that stuff. Uh -huh. But it's really important that you have both of those in there and that you're still thinking about the best way to increase conversions while still being good for the user. Like that's that other side of it that I think is really important. And I've found in articulating design decisions, you know, throughout my career that that is the thing that often I have to fight for the most is like, no, I know that you want everything to be above the fold, but the user's <laughs> going to get confused. They're not going to know like where to click, where to start. If we're putting mm -hmm. all of our buttons up there, like we need to, we need to prioritize which path we want them to go down next. And we need to design it for that reason. And, you know, just explaining that sort of thing as most of the challenges that I've come across in articulating design decisions. Yeah. What would you say has been your like most challenging design decision articulation problem oh, <laughs> over the years? I don't know. I'm, Hmm. I don't know if I can think of anything specific, but um, yeah, I guess I work a lot with engineers and mm -hmm. sometimes, or maybe most of the time, I don't want to generalize, but uh, you know, engineers, the ones that I've worked with typically haven't had that sort of visual, like you said at the start, you know, they can't um, interpret or envision necessarily you know what what design is and they come from mm -hmm. a very technical background so they often speak about design from a very technical perspective and if you're working with engineers who maybe have never worked with designers before um, you know that that can be a challenge and it can be really difficult to uh, push back when they have suggestions or feedback from a technical perspective uh, that make it really challenging for a design perspective. And I right. I've found that like I kind of have to find that middle ground where it's sort of a give and take like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, you know, give a little bit here and, and change the design a little bit this way so that it sort of meets your technical requirement. Uh, but let's sort of meet in the middle, you know. Um, so that that for me has been a little bit challenging, but yeah, still figuring it out. Yeah, that makes sense. I've definitely had those struggles too. And I want to be clear before when I was saying that like, you know, they don't have the lingo or whatever. I don't think that it means that non-designers opinions aren't valid or valued. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I just think it means that we can't rely on them for the solution. Like when they're giving feedback and suggesting a change, I take it as they're pointing out a problem, right? They don't right. think the solution works and maybe they can't articulate exactly why it doesn't work. But the fact that they don't think it does is like worth exploring and like means it's a new challenge for you to solve, if that makes sense. And so it's yeah. the same with engineers when they're saying that, you know, oh, this design won't work for this reason. You have to figure out if they, if there's, it's just too expensive to build. But if it's going to be the best thing for the user, then, you know, sometimes you got to fight. Exactly. For it. Yeah, that's a good example. I think also people tend to give their feedback in the way of solutions rather than because mm -hmm. they giving think that's being useful, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like rather than stating what the problem is, they provide a solution. Uh, and it's kind of our job, I think, as the designer to dig deep and uncover what the actual problem is. You know, I, yeah. I think we focus maybe a little bit too much on the solution and listening to like what they're actually suggesting. But I think we need to sort of, uh, how do you say read between the lines, but like listen between the 
speech. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like read between the lines, I guess. And, you know, try and uncover, okay, like they've made this suggestion or they're proposing this solution, but what's the underlying problem? Like, why have Mm -hmm. they suggested this solution? What is the problem that is there that is causing them to recommend this particular idea or something like that? I think that's, that's a challenge for us as designers. And, and I definitely get hung on that, hung up on that. You know, someone will suggest a solution and I run away with it and don't actually stop to think about, oh, like, why did they suggest the solution? Like, what is the problem um, that that's there that caused them to, to suggest this? Yeah, this is how I would cope with the CEO button you were talking about at the start, too, is that um, I would be like, OK, so he really wants all of our stuff to be above the fold. Um, I'm taking that to mean he's worried people aren't going to scroll and see the rest of the page and see the rest of this content. Mm-hmm. So that's why he wants it to be all up the top. So I'm going to like tweak my design and make it really enticing to scroll down, you know, maybe put like something peeking up above the fold, you know, in quote marks, because we don't really know where the fold is on the web. But, you know, the most common screen size, we're going to put something above it so that people will like half above it so that people will scroll down and see the rest of it and and keep going. And then when I present that change, I can be like, hey, I know that you're worried. Um, You wanted everything above the fold. And I think that was because you're worried people weren't going to scroll. We can't put everything above the fold for this reason. It's going to be too complicated, confusing, etc. So instead, what I've done is this and make it clear that while I haven't implemented their exact change, I took it on board and like I've come up with a solution and, you know, we can go from there. I think to also add on to that at the end is to also point to a particular metric or or a goal that they're interested in, especially if it's a stakeholder. You know, stakeholders always have a particular goal or a particular need. And I think if you're, you know, articulating a decision that you've made in your design, always, always, if you can point to a metric or something that they, you know, are super valued in uh, that will help back up your decision. I think that that would be like everything you just said. And then that as well, I think would be sort of like Mm -hmm. the ideal response. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I think, yeah, the point is that you, when someone suggests a change, you are not obligated to make it exactly if you don't feel like it's the best thing for the design and is actually solving the problem, basically. And I think this is a problem a lot of more junior designers run into, is feeling like, oh, I'm being told what to do, so I've got to do exactly this, you know? Um, And sometimes, if you're at a place of work that isn't very good, to be honest, then they might force you, I guess, to implement Mm. that change that isn't very good and that you don't believe is the best. But that's when it's time to... Step up, be the designer, start implementing some sort of design process, I guess, uh, to allow you to actually do your best work because otherwise you're helping no one, you know? Yeah, and I think if you're in that situation where you're getting a lot of pressure, uh, whether it's coming from the top or, or the bottom or the side, you know, wherever it's coming from, then my sort of advice for that would be to come back to the to the three. So, you know, what problem does it solve? How does this affect the user? Why is it better than the alternative? And Tom really iterated on this as well in the workshop. Like when in doubt, come back to these three questions and you can always sort of like have them in your back pocket. You know, he even mm. actually, he gave us like a little business card sized piece of paper that had these three questions Cute. on them. Yeah. And he was like, I love that. you can keep this in your pocket and like in your meeting, sort of like under the table, you know, just, just take a look and, and have that as your guidance. It was really sweet. Um, so yeah, that is cool. I, I really iterate on that that if you're in that position then you know take advice from these three questions and and push back with those to really get to the underlying root you know 
problem or, or goal or need or whatever it is that's still up in the air. I've found too uh, over my years that different teams require different levels of presentation of a design, you mm. know. Um, my ConvertKit teammates are pretty good, especially my little marketing team. Sometimes I can just drop a design like an Envision link and be like, get totally blind feedback from them and just be like, hey guys, here's the latest design. Take a look. Tell me, like, leave comments in Envision, you know, leave your feedback and then just mm -hmm. see what they pick up on and what they say is sometimes really interesting. Uh, whereas other places, I've definitely had to be like, okay, meeting time. I want to present my design to you because I know that if I don't walk you through it and like point out these things, you might miss them or, you know, because you're not like taking a, a good close look or perhaps I know that there was a particular problem that you had and I just want to make sure that you know I addressed it, you know, and, and go into a lot more detail before asking for feedback. Have you had that experience as well? Oh, yeah. Like depending on the places I've worked at, like different companies have that design culture, I guess, a bit different. Um, mm -hmm. Like at Uber, it's definitely the latter of like, okay, set up a meeting, book a time in everyone's calendar, get everyone in to do a review. Um, luckily, though, we have like times already blocked out each week, twice a week is blocked nice. out for design reviews. So you can just, you know, book a slot in there. Um, but yeah, in the past, I've had it a lot more relaxed and casual where, like you said, you just drop a link in or drop in a screenshot or something if you're wanting some quick feedback. Um, so yeah, it, it does, I guess, depend uh, on the culture. But if, if you don't have that set, then maybe as a designer, you know, you have an opportunity there to kind of set what the design process is, right? And you have a have the opportunity to set the expectations or the intentions of how you want to present your work and get feedback. Yeah, totally. And explain what you're looking for from them at each stage. As we were talking about before with the wireframes, whenever I drop a wireframe, I always just stress, you know, this is a wireframe. So I'm looking for feedback on the structure, the content that's there. Do you see anything on this page that doesn't need to be there? Because I'll always write like, example headings for you know all right like heading about the benefit of growing an audience right you know, that's my kind of version of lorem ipsum so it's not an exact copy because i don't want people to get hung up yes. on the exact words that i've used but i would just want them to know that this is what i'm talking about in this section do you think that's good uh do you think this needs to be on here is there anything else that you don't see like a content space for that you think needs to be on here that's the kind of feedback i'm looking for in a wireframe rather than you know, the exact design and like, oh no, I think this header should be a hundred pixels taller sort of thing is not what I'm looking for at that stage. So I just point that out um, just to make sure everyone stays on the right track and yeah, gives me what I need because I think it's up to us, right? To get the right feedback for what we need. Oh yeah. Um, and if we get really far down the track and we're getting feedback from someone that we should have gotten, you know, several iterations ago, to be implemented well and you know it's going to really throw off our whole design to try and work it in now that is a sign that you should have asked them for feedback earlier you mm -hmm. know and perhaps if you did and they were finding it hard to envision the final product um and give that feedback without seeing it you know in high fidelity when it was in wireframe stage for example then it might take time to work with them perhaps and get them used to what a wireframe is and yeah, just explaining and showing, look, this is what we started with. This is what we ended up with because of this reason, you know. So, yeah, train them, I guess, on, on being able to give the right feedback. That's I think that's your job as the designer. Yeah. 
Totally. And I'd also recommend that if you are having a meeting or some sort of design review to just beforehand send out an email or, or a Slack message, however you communicate uh, with, you know, this is what I want to be reviewing today. Here's a link or, or whatever, or here's attached an image, whatever it is you want to show. Uh, I'm looking for feedback on this, this, this. This is where we're at in the project. Just a reminder, the goal of this project is X. You know, just, just set up the context a little bit beforehand. And, and of course, I also recommend repeating this at the start of the meeting, you know, to make sure everyone's yes. on the same page. Uh, don't just rely that everyone will read this. But I think it does help to set the context, you know, for those who 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 will read it and who can come in perhaps with already some existing questions. You know, it, it lets them prepare as well, uh, which I always value if I'm going into a design review um, and, you know, the designer sort of shares up front what they're going to be presenting. I find that really helpful because I can go in with, you know, just that little bit of context of at least having seen it and knowing what the project is about, which is helpful. Yeah, totally. Should we address a couple of questions from our community? Yes, let's. We yes, we have a few. Yeah, so Amy said that my current problem with the chain of approval is that I don't know what makes certain people qualified to edit. A quick example, I design a flyer for a program, the program facilitator gives it to their supervisor for approval, and that supervisor then edits anything and everything, from text content to my actual design. They are not an expert in either of those things, and sometimes it shows. I'm in the spot now where I'm defending my design, which I'm decent at doing. So good on you, Amy, for like having that confidence, but also trying to figure out how I change this as it's becoming a, a wait, <laughs> as it's becoming an every project problem. Mm. Yeah, this is tough because it sounds like Amy needs to be the one presenting it to that supervisor, right? Yes. So that she can be having that conversation with the supervisor and addressing those concerns. <clears throat> Totally. I think that she should be presenting the design herself. And I think that she should also be uh, clear with setting the expectations of the presentation by saying, again, like, you know, this is where we are. This is where we're at. This is what I want feedback on. Um, and, you know, letting them also know, I think that their feedback will be heard, uh, not necessarily mm. implemented. You know, I, I wouldn't commit on, on that meeting, like, yes, I'll, I'll make that change, but, you know, let them know that you're, you've heard them and that you'll take it into consideration. And, and again, just refer back to the goals, um, ask them why they think that this suggestion is, is a good one or why it's better than what you've proposed. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think Amy should be setting the expectation of what feedback she's looking for and also be a part of of the feedback uh, uh, discussion, you know, and have that feedback directly or have that conversation directly with the supervisor. Yeah, it's so tough to get secondhand feedback, right? Ugh, like, yeah. I remember this happening in, in early graphic design jobs in my career. I just get this printed page back with things circled, like, move this image here and, like, this text bigger. And I'm like, okay, well, why? <laughs> So then it's up to you to go and talk to the person who gave that feedback and yeah, just chat to them about it. Okay, why do you feel like this image needs to be moved? Because I felt like I put it here because it leads the eye down the page in this way. Mm. You know, they perhaps haven't thought about it that way and maybe they're just thinking, maybe they've got aspirations to be a designer themselves, even though like Amy said, they're not very good at it and sometimes it shows. Something else that I would recommend to Amy, I think this is a common occurrence in client or freelance projects, is that it's not always clear who the stakeholder is. And so while you might be communicating with this sort of intermediary person and they're kind of just firing off your uh, 
work to someone else who's the actual approver. Um, so I would recommend trying to find out who that person is like at the start of the project, you know, asking the client, okay, who, who are the st- major stakeholders in this project? Who is going to have the sign off? Because those are the people that you want to be, you know, having these feedback discussions with and be actually in that room with them rather than just sort of hearing it through this sort of intermediary person. Yeah, and just explain that that's going to make the designs better. It's going to make the whole process faster. Yeah. Who doesn't want to get work done faster, you know, and I'm sure that won't be a problem. Uh, Jasmine had a similar situation, actually. She said that because I'm the youngest person on the team, one of the youngest people on the team, and don't have a formal design education, I find it really difficult to speak with authority. Some of my coworkers are easier to collaborate with and we can communicate to find a solution we're both happy with. Uh, when there are challenges or disagreements but unfortunately there are still times when people just want me to create their vision or when coming up with new design solutions can be seen as rocking the boat and I still don't know the best way to handle these situations. So it sounds like Jasmine might be struggling with a little bit of imposter syndrome being the youngest person and not having a formal design education and feeling like perhaps her opinion isn't as valid which sucks because it is. If you're on the team you've been hired for a reason and yeah your your design ideas are worth exploring Mm -hmm. yeah I think this also comes down to confidence a little bit as well and I have definitely gone through this myself and in fact my some of my peers actually raised this to me uh where uh, in, in a really nice way you know they said we'd love for you to uh you know just say your ideas more um I I've had problems myself in the past where I, I'm too afraid to share an idea because I don't feel like it's good enough or not as good as, you know, what all the senior designers on the team think, uh, you know, so, you know, this is irrational, but you think to yourself, oh, well, why would my idea be, be, be good when there's yeah. people who have been on the team for three years, you know, and, and know so much more than I do and have much more experience. Um, and so that's a confidence thing, I think. And, and I kind of hear a little bit of that echoed in, in Jasmine's question. And the advice that my teammates gave me, which I now pass on to you, is just to to keep pushing, you know, push for your ideas, keep sharing them, don't hold them back, you know, have a bit of confidence and just say them because that's in the best interest of the team and in the best interest of the company. And it doesn't matter if it's a bad idea, you know, uh, sometimes bad ideas grow into good ones, especially if you're in a collaborative environment. So just keep pushing and keep fighting and keep sharing your ideas. That's what I would recommend. And I think that you can use it as kind of iterate on the way you share your ideas too, because Sometimes it might be a really good idea, but the way you communicated it didn't make it sound that good, mm, right? Like mm-hmm. you didn't point out all the the benefits for solving the problem and for the user and all this. So every time you share an idea, if it gets shut down, don't take that to mean that was a bad idea and I should never share one again. Instead, think, okay, what could I have said differently that would have made this person in particular who like didn't jump on it? What what are, what are what are their like you know things like the metrics you were talking about before, Fem? What could I have said? to make them interested in this idea mm-hmm. and, and try it next time, you know, and iterate on that and keep pushing yourself because I think it is imp- an important skill to have to be able to share your ideas and, yeah, speak up for your designs. So keep trying. 
Yeah, and it never hurts to create a little mock-up too, right, of your idea. And, you know, you, yeah, you don't need to be cool. go into all this detail and spend an entire day doing it, obviously. But I've had that, you know, where team members have shared with me their idea for the project I'm working on. And sometimes they just send me a quick, like, you know, oh, I just uh, uh, whipped this up quickly. Um, this is my suggestion, blah, 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 and kind of explain it with some context. And that's also helpful when you have sort of a visual uh, to relate to if you're if someone's making a suggestion. So maybe you want to try that approach of like mocking something up um, to back up your your suggestion. Yeah, love that. Al ended with some really great advice. Uh, he suggested two books. That One is the one that you were talking about, mm-hmm. Femme, Tom Grieber's Articulating Design Decisions. So we'll link that in the show notes. And another one is Discussing Design. So yeah, they will both be linked there. Uh, and he said, for me, I try and involve customers, PMs and engineers as early on in the process. If they see my workings as we go, rather than just a big reveal at the end, they're more likely to voice disagreement earlier on. And if they feel like they've had input along the way, they're much more likely to side with what you've made. I also try and use user testing as a decider for many design decisions. As for me, that can trump personal opinion, whether mine or the customer's. But it's hard, though, as it's not always practical to run user tests. Oh, so, so much yes to yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> the first part, yes, totally. The more you involve process, like we were saying before, the earlier on you'll get that feedback about you know, fundamental things that need to change and it won't shake up your whole design when you've done all the visuals and now you're getting this feedback that the structure needs to change or whatever. Definitely early and often that's why I was saying I don't want you to hold off on the placeholders, you know, if that helps you share your work. Right, right. Yeah, and, and the other one about user testing, I know that not everyone has access to this as a as a resource. Um, we do at Uber and it's so valuable when it comes to these discussions with engineers. You know, I, I've definitely played it as a trump card. You know, an engineer nice. has a suggestion or something and I'll just say, well, we tested it and it doesn't work. Um, you know, it's, it's, you can pull it out as a trump card if you have to, uh, obviously don't rely on it that way, but, uh, it's definitely valuable to have these insights, whether it's research or actual testing, uh, with the end user of, of your product or your design, uh, is definitely helpful when it comes to articulating the decision that you've made. Yep, agreed. I think you have to be careful about how the user testing is happening though, too, because I remember sometimes at zero, we would just use, you know, usertesting.com, which is where people get paid 20 bucks to uh, like follow instructions uh-huh. that you've given them. And even though you select, like, I want a person who's a small business owner, they could just lie. Uh, so sometimes you have to take them with a grain of salt, but it is interesting to see. But I, I wouldn't say you can use that sort of user testing as a trump card. <laughs> the user testing Uber does, definitely. <laughs> yeah, we we do it pretty thoroughly. Yeah, yeah, you guys are pretty good at that. <laughs> Okay. All right. Any last words of wisdom from this workshop you want to share with our peeps? Um, gosh, I think just be good at listening, you know, and Ooh, I know that's yeah. hard and we haven't really gone into that uh, in this episode, but I think it's a really important thing to mention in, in all of this to tie it up is to be a good listener. And there's always going to be people who or there's always going to be solutions suggested, I guess I should say, that you're not going to agree with or you're going to want to shut down. Um, but just listen, you know, ask questions, get to the underlying problem. You know, why did they suggest that? I think being a good listener is such a helpful skill. Um, and being a good listener often 
is actually quite easy. You just don't talk. <laughs> um, so yeah, that would kind of be my takeaway is just listen a bit harder and trying to understand, you know, from, from that person's perspective, why they're making this suggestion or why they propose this particular solution. And from that, you can, you know, uncover a little bit more the, the root problem or the root cause and then prepare your, your response. So that's probably yeah. one of my takeaways for this. I think that's something good to get good at, right? And probably maybe not what someone was expecting from an episode about articulating design decisions <laughs> is to not talk. <laughs> yeah. But yep, makes total sense. And I would say too, to remember that, especially if you have been in design school, that articulating your designs in a real world environment is very different from talking about it to your classmate of fellow design students who uh -huh. have just learned the exact same lingo that you have. I would very rarely use design lingo when I'm talking about design decisions because, like you said, Fem, it's not about that. It's not about the font size. It's not about, oh, this is a serif versus sans serif or whatever. Like, it's about solving the problem and it's about the user. And so that's what you should base how you talk about your design on. So, yeah, that's my slightly confusing advice no, to end on. No, great. Oh, this is a really fun episode. I hope that yeah, people found stuff. value in this talk. Yeah, I hope so too. If you are finding value in our podcast, we'd really appreciate you going and leaving a review on iTunes because, well, I think it's called Apple Podcasts now, yes, isn't it? Yes, I think so. <laughs> say the right thing to start with. It really helps us get the show out there and helps other people be interested in even subscribing to it. And as you heard, our listeners give really like good advice and they ask really good questions that help shape these episodes. So the more people listening, the better. So if you've been enjoying the show, please go leave us a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. And if you want to listen to more episodes of Design Life, you can go to designlife.fm and you'll find all past episodes there. We also have show notes and show links for each episode so you can dive in straight away. And those questions that we read out on today's show came from our community. So if you're interested in joining a group of really amazing creative people, we've got a Slack community, there's lots of resources available as well. We do live streams, it's a lot of fun and it's a monthly subscription. Check out that at designlife.fm slash community because we'd love to have you in there. All right. Enjoy Japan. Yeah. And enjoy Zurich. Thanks. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.